When the month of Adar comes, we increase our joy. So the question is, when does it start? You know, a lot of people, they don't like being happy. They enjoy being depressed. It gives them satisfaction. It makes them feel good to be despondent, to frown, to be grouchy. And the thought of having to be happy in Adar is very frightening to many people. They're, they're very, Adar is like the worst month of the year. They love Av. People love being grouchy. But Adar comes and they don't even know what to do with themselves. So I have a good heter for you. Rav Chaim Kinevsky says, Mishanichnas Adar doesn't begin until the second day Rosh Chodesh. Because uh, the first day Rosh Chodesh is still Shvat, the second day is Adar. So for those of you who enjoy being grouchy, who like to frown, who like to complain, don't worry, you still have an extra day until Tuesday to get it all out. However, the bad news is, that there is an opinion. Rav Nevenzal writes, Mishanichna Sadar Mavrim Basimcha begins already from Rosh Chodesh Benching, which means you already have to start smiling, you already have to start being happy, already from the Shavs, I'm sorry to break the news to you, but you know, somebody's got to tell you the deal. Mishanichna Sadar already begins. I want to share with you an approach to Megillah Sester that is not so well known. We all know the story. We all know the main characters. We have Achashverosh, we have Haman, we have Mordechai, we have Esther. We know the deal. Achashverosh gets angry with his wife. He marries Esther. Mordechai hears the plot to kill the king. And then Haman comes to power. And Esther tells the king. And Esther has the party. And Haman takes a misstep with Esther. And Chagoyna says, hang Haman. And then we eat hamantash, and that's the basic story of Purim. But I would like to share with you today a new approach to the Purim story. This is not so well known, but once we identify this new theme in Megillah Esther, we'll open up our eyes not only to the Purim story, but really to events that happen throughout the world and throughout our history. So I want to begin with the very end of the Megillah. The Megillah ends, Ki Mardachai HaYehudi Mishnel Amalach Mordechai was second in command. The Yehudim. He was very great for the Jews. And most Jews liked him, which is as good as you're going to get if you're a rabbi. That's the end of the Megillah. Does anybody know how to say, that's the last Pasuk, anybody know how to say second to last in English? Wow. Very good. Second to last. What school did you go to? Tag. Okay. That's a special check for tag. Tell Rabbi Whiteman. Okay. Penultimate. The second to last pasuk is penultimate. Does anybody know what the, how to say third to last in English? Anti-penultimate. Okay. So you learned something today. The third to last pasuk in the Megillah says as follows: Vayosem Hamelach Achashverosh Mas Al Haoretz Iye Hayam Ver Achashverosh taxed the people. Remember that pasuk? 
Vayasem hamelech achashverosh ma'as al ha'aretz v'yei hayam achashverosh taxes the people. By the way, the Gros says a gematria. V'yei is gematria 27. Hayam is gematria 60. Mas, excuse me, is gematria 100. V'yei is gematria 27. He taxed all 127 provinces. So here's the million dollar question. Here you're reading the Megillah. You read the whole story. You read about Achashverosh. She's sitting on the throne. You read about the beauty contest. You read about Esther. You read about Mordechai. <clears throat> What's the grand finale of Megillah's Esther? Achashverosh taxes the people. Who cares? Why would the Megillah end that Achashverosh taxes the people? Isn't that irrelevant? What's the purpose of the Megillah recording the financial plans of Achashverosh. The Megillah, actually, the question is even worse because if you look in the penultimate Pasuk of the Megillah, the second to last Pasuk, the Pasuk says, All of the power and might and the whole saga of the greatness of Mordechai, that the king raised up, they are written, Anybody remember the next words? Al Sefer Divrei Hayamim Lemalche Madai Uparas. What school did you go to? <laughs> Sorry, there's. I have somebody here in the room who's related to me. I can't say who. It's top secret, but she didn't go to Tag necessarily. But I do have a daughter in Tag, so it's okay. But Tag is is uh, doing pretty well tonight. So. The Pasuk says, all of the acts and the might of Mordechai that the king raised up, they are written in the book of Chronicles of Persia and Media. And this is one of the most bizarre, seemingly bizarre psukim in the whole Tanakh. The Pasuk says, oh, you want to know about the history of Mordechai? You want to know about the palace intrigue and the historical context of the story? Wrong book. You got to go to the Chronicles of Persia and Media. So what exactly is the Megillah telling us? The Megillah is actually telling us we should go to libraries in Persia and open up big volumes and read the rest of the story. Why is the Megillah referring us to the chronicles of Persia and Media? It says Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, this Pasuk, the second to last Pasuk of the Megillah, is articulating the main purpose of Megillah Sester. Don't mistakenly think that the purpose of the Megillah is to give us a history lesson, to help us appreciate the context of the times, the palace intrigue. The Megillah was written for one reason and one reason only. Pursue Nisa, to magnify the miracle of Hashem. You want to know history? Wrong book! Go to the Chronicles of Persia and Media. This book was written to teach Hashkacha Pratis, God's divine hand in history. So we could ask, why then would the Megillah record that Achashverosh taxed the people who cares that he taxed the people? It's irrelevant. We're going to learn that this Pasuk, that Ahasuerus taxed the people, is actually the most elevated form of Hashgach HaPratis that we'll encounter in the whole Purim story, as will unfold very soon. I would like to share with you three words of Gemara. They learn Gemara in Tag? I'm just joking. Three words of Gemara. I know a seminary, they learn Masech Yivamas. Um, sort of, right? So, 
I want, to te- I want to share with you three words of the Gemara in Masech um, the Megillah. The Gemara says, The king says, who's in the courtyard, remember? Achshirish was sleeping, and all of a sudden he hears it's 3 a.m., someone stamping in the courtyard. Achshirish says, who's in the courtyard? Haman was coming. To the outer courtyard of the king. To say to the king, to hang Mardachai. It's on the tree that he prepared for him. Who made the tree for who? Haman made the tree, the wood for Mordechai. Does anybody remember how tall the tree was? You can answer. 50 amas. What school did you go? <laughs> All right. TMM. That's in Farakoy? Nah, I know where it is. I'm joking. So, Haman was going to the courtyard of the king to tell the king to hang Mordechai on the tree that he prepared for him. Literally, that means Haman was going to Dachashverosh to hang Mordechai on the tree that Haman prepared for him for Mordechai. But the Gemara is bothered by a question. There's an extra word in this Pasuk. The word for him. It should say, he was going to Ta'ach to hang Mordechai on the tree he prepared. Why does it have to say that he prepared for him? Obviously, Haman prepared it for Mordechai. It doesn't have to say, he prepared for him. It could just say, he prepared. The word for him is extra. Says the Gemara... Heichin lai, he prepared for him. Tana, interpret it. Loi heichin, he prepared it for himself. Not that Haman prepared it for Mordechai. Haman thought he was preparing it for Mordechai. But really he was preparing it for himself. Because in the end of the day, the tree that he prepared to hang Haman on, to hang Mordechai on, Haman was Hanged on. By the way, let's have another English lesson. Okay? Was Haman hanged or was Haman hung? What? Hanged. Who says hanged? Who says hung? Very good. What? No, it's hanged. Then it's hanged. The reason is. Okay, good. It was a trick question, but usually boys don't know the answer, so very good. A, per, a, ma, a person, what? I didn't hear that. They didn't go to tag. I know. It's okay. On the tree that he prepared for him, that in reality, Haman prepared the tree for himself. He thought he was making this big gallows to hang Mordechai. He was really making it for himself. This is the main theme of Megillah Sester. As we're going to see, every plan, every machination, every scheme of Haman, God didn't just foil the plan. The Yvon Shalom said, you give me your plan. I'm going to utilize your plan, hijack the plan, co-opt the plan, and use that plan against you. You know, we're going to say in Bimei Mordechai the Esther on Purim, we're going to say a, a Lashayim. Aviata barachamecha harabim 
Heifarta es atzasai, vikilkalta es machshaftai. So let's study for a moment. What's the difference between Eitza and Machshava? It seems like they're synonymous. Eitza is a plan. Machshava is a plan. What's the difference between Eitza and Machshava? The difference is, the Vilna Gaon says, Eitza is something that's such a good scheme, it's actually carried out. Machshava is just a thought that never comes to fruition. Like we say, Rabois, machshavois. Belavish. Man has many machshavois. Ideas that never come to fruition. But va'atzas, Hashem, Eitzah, which comes to fruition, only Eitzah of Hashem, he suffer. So listen to what we're going to say on Purim. V'yata barachamecha harabim, you and your abundant mercy. Heifarta esatzasai. Hashem didn't just foil Haman's plot. It's not like Haman came in, and Haman came in with like a machine gun, and he was going to shoot down Chal Yisrael, and Hashem struck him with lightning. That would be Hefarta Esatzasai. Haman had an idea, and God foiled it. No. Kelkalta Esmachshavtai. You corrupted his scheme. This is the most important theme of the Megillah. If you can't identify it, then you're missing the story. What we're going to study tonight is that the main theme of Megillah's Esther and history is God says, I'm not afraid of the Russia. I'm not afraid of the most wicked man as president, as prime minister, as dictator, as monarch. I'm not afraid of his schemes. I don't have to strike him down with lightning. I can take his plans and utilize his plans against him. Let's give a few examples. There was a man by the name of Ovadia. Ovadia was, what did he do for a living? He sold used cars. No. He sold insurance or he was a Navi. What are the... She was a Navi. She went to tag so she knows that he was a Navi. Ovadia Hanavi. Does anybody know how many prakam of Nevuah Ovadia said? Ovadia said the shortest Nevuah in the Torah. One parak. Say for Ovadia is one parak. We lay in as the Haftarah of Parshas Vayishlach. Ayyavadya prophesied about the downfall of Edai. The Gemara asks, why did Ovadya prophesy about the downfall of Edai? Says the Gemara, because Ovadya was a convert from Edai. And therefore, Hashem said the following principle. Let Ovadya, who grew up among Goyim and didn't learn from their bad ways, prophesy about the downfall of Esav, who grew up among Tzadikim, and didn't learn from their good ways. The Gemara continues. The Gemara says, Ovadia prophesying about the downfall of Edom is a fulfillment of that which the, the Chazal say, Menei ube Abba nezel be narga. In English that means from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. You ever hear that? From the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. What does that mean? You have a big forest. You have a forester. He has a blade. He's going to chop down the forest. But where does the handle for the blade come from? It comes from the forest itself. That's the way the Rebbe Shem operates. The Rebbe Shem says, I don't need outside forces. From the enemy itself will come its destruction. So let me give you a perfect example. There was a great man. Greatest man who ever lived. 
He was the most humble person who ever lived. And Chazal say, just like he was the most humble person who ever lived, he likewise excelled in every imaginable character trait. We're talking about Moshe Rabbein. And the Pharaoh made a decree. He made a decree called Haben Hayiloid Hayoira Tashlichu. His astrologers, they convened a meeting and the astrologers said, Hey Pharaoh, today, Zion Adar, the savior of the Jewish people will be born. We don't know if he's going to be Jewish or if he's going to be Egyptian. So you need to make a decree. All boys born today, you drown them in the Nile. Now, I once had a chus to speak in Phoenix, Arizona. And we went over there to an aquarium. And in the aquarium, they had an exhibit with an albino crocodile. Albino crocodile, you don't want to get anywhere near an albino crocodile. So the trainer goes into the cage with a stick and a slab of meat. The albino crocodile is about 10 feet away. The trainer goes like that. The albino crocodile jumps 10 feet, grabs the meat, goes back to its spot faster than your eye could take it in. You didn't even see it. So with little babies floating in the Nile, that's just delicious meals for crocodiles. How many babies do you think survive the Nile River? Hardly any. And the Pharaoh made a decree. He knew for sure the Jewish Savior would be born on that day. So he decreed, call Haben Hayiloid Hayoira Tashichu, any child that's born, throw him into the river. And the Almighty is sitting there, and the Rosh is laughing. He says, Parai, you think you're going to destroy the Savior of the Jewish people? Watch this, Parai. Parai's daughter, Basia, she's bathing in the river. Chazal says she was converting. She was being Megayim. And she sees this little baby crying. And she knew she couldn't contravene her father's decree, but how could you resist a crying baby? So she stretches out her hand for many, many amois, and miraculously she takes the child in. She takes the child, she brings him back to the palace. That night, Pharaoh's like, Basia, what's all that noise coming from your room? Well, what's going on? You have, you have, why is your alarm going off in the middle of the night? No, don't worry, Dad. It's just a baby. What? A baby in your room? Where'd you find it? I just found it swimming in the, in the Nile. Are you crazy? Dad, you know, I haven't slept for an hour. This baby's driving me crazy. Would you mind holding the baby a little bit? So Basia comes in, and the Pharaoh, he's rocking little baby Moshe to sleep that night. And then the, Moshe doesn't have any food. He doesn't want to eat from the wet nurse. So Abbas said, do me a favor, Dad. Could you go out to CVS and buy some, buy some formula so the poor kid has something to eat? Paro said, oh, you know, who's going to pay for it? Dad, put it on your American Express card. And Paro goes out in the middle of the night and he buys formula for Moshe and he buys diapers for Moshe and he feeds the kid and he gets Cheerios and he buys the kid a high chair. Moshe Rabbeinu, the one who the Pharaoh tried to annihilate God is laughing because Moshe Rabbeinu is growing up in the palace under his nose. Paro's the father. Paro tried to annihilate the future leader. Paro raised the future leader. And even Ezra asks, why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu grow up in a nice Jewish neighborhood and go to a cheder and learn Kamatz Aleph Av, Kamatz Beis Ba? And he would have gotten a Jewish education. What's he growing up in Paro's palace for? Says Ibn Ezra, if Moshe hadn't grown up in Paro's palace, 
he never would have been able to be the leader of the Jewish people. You see, if he would have grown up with the rest of Chal Yisrael, he would have had a slave mentality like the rest of the Jewish people. He would have had low morale. He wouldn't have had leadership qualities. So the Pharaoh would say, Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, waking up in the morning, and Pharaoh would say, hey, Moshe, straighten out your tie. You're going to be a king one day. Who taught Moshe to be a leader? Parai. Moshe was the king of Kaisrael. If not for Parai, we wouldn't have never left Mitzrayim. We wouldn't have a Torah. You know what it says in Perkei Avais? Parai keep el Torah misinai. Just joking. But without Parai, Moshe never would have accepted Torah misinai. Moshe would have been just an ordinary Evid like everyone else. Parai thought he was destroying Moshe. The Yom says, not only will you not destroy Moshe, I will use you to create Moshe. That's how Hashem works. Hashem says, I don't need a good man as king to bring Yeshua's for Klai Yisrael. You give me the Russia, I will hijack his plans. Without the Gezeira of Kolhaben Hayiloid, we never would have had Moshe. Had Paro never tried to annihilate the Jewish Savior, we wouldn't have had Moshe Rabin. Because he would have grown up with the Jewish people and he never would have been a leader. Now let's demonstrate how this is the main theme in Megillah Sester. So Haman has this absurd idea. Let's make a tree. How tall? 50 Amis. You know how tall 50 Amis is? According to Chazonish? 100 feet tall. That's ridiculous. That's like as high as China's spy balloon. A hundred feet tall. You know, the Chazal say that Ner Hanukkah is puzzle under over 20 amos because you can't see so high. You know how to put an Erev over 20 amos, you can't see so high. So why is Haman making a gallows a hundred feet tall? Who's supposed to see so high? Haman knew that this Ahasuerus was, was a wishy-washy guy. Couldn't make up his mind. The only way he would ever be able to recommend to hang Mordechai on the gallows is to have this eyesore monstrosity steering Achashverosh in the face. Every time he opens up the palace windows, there's this like the twin towers up in the background. And he would get Achashverosh in a fit of rage and without thinking, so that the gallows are already prepared and steering Achashverosh in the face, Haman would just say, okay, hang him. And Achashverosh, in a fit of rage, would say, okay, hang him. And that backfired on him. Because think about how Haman was hanged. We know that Haman took a misstep with Esther. If that gallows wasn't standing there, and they would have to construct the gallows, then Haman would have said, I tripped, I fell, I slipped, it was an accident. Why don't you ask the assemblage? Why don't you ask the Congress? And Achashverosh would have cooled off. And then who knows what the fate of Haman would have been. But then Charvoino says, And the gallows are standing there right in his vision and it's a monstrosity. So Achashverosh just said, Tulu hang him. Zeresh says, you know, Haman, you're the second in command. So usually, you usually go to Achashverosh last of all the officials. But tomorrow... Since you're going to propose that Mordechai should be hung, hanged, you should go first. 
In the morning, go to the king. Why in the morning? Because Zeresh was concerned that if Haman would go later in the day, maybe earlier, somebody would go to Achashverosh and put in a good word for Mordechai, and Haman would never be able to convince Achashverosh to hang Mordechai. So therefore, Zeresh says, go Baboiker, first thing in the morning. But that backfired. Because Achshir couldn't sleep that night. So he was tossing and turning. And then the first guy that came in the morning, the only thing on Achshir's mind is, what should I do for the guy who the king, who I want to honor? So Haman thinks that Achshir is talking about him. So he says, oh, you should wear the royal horse, royal clothing and ride the royal horse. But had he gone his usual time in the afternoon, then some other Shlomazel would have been leading uh, Mordechai through the street on the royal horse and in the royal clothing. And then Haman never would have had the garbage dumped on his head. And you never would have had that downward spiral. But the only reason why Haman started going down the tubes is because he listened to the suggestion to come first thing in the morning. Here's a detail of the, of the Megillah which is not so well known. What did the documents of Haman say? Do you remember these psukim? In Parak Gimel, Pasuk Yud Gimel, I really intended to make sheets for you. Okay, next time, or I could get it to you after. I know what school you went to. Okay? The psukim say like this. B'nishloyach sefarim. Haman said, we're going to send documents. B'yad haratzim. With the runners. Al-Kamadino Yishamelech to all the communities and all the countries. That what? Lahashmid laharoik ulaabed to destroy, to murder, to annihilate as Kalayudim. But the next Pasuk says Pashegen Hakasav, the text of the document, Medina to give law in every community, Galoi Hoamim revealed to all the peoples, Liois Asidim Layemazah to be prepared for a specific day. Meaning, the document said nothing. It said, Beware of the 13th of Adam. What would happen? The documents did not say. Do you remember that Pasuk? Be ready for that day. Like, beware of the Ides of March. Get ready for that day. And what's going to happen on that day? doesn't say. But the Pasuk before says that it said they were going to be annihilated. The Vilna Gun explains as follows. There are two documents. There were the private messages to the governors and the mayors. Those private documents, Haman said, were going to annihilate the Jewish people on the 13th of Adar. But the public documents could not say what would happen on the 13th of Adar because if they did, if the Pashkavilan, you know what the Pashkavilan are? You went to seminary? Anybody go to seminary in Mea Sharem? Who's not related to me? No, you know those, um, in English the word is a broadside. A broadside is a big, big poster. You know how in Meisharim or in Gula, they have these posters plastered everywhere. That's like the biggest entertainment in Yerushalayim, to read the broadsides. So the public broadsides, they said nothing. Beware of the 13th of Adar. Why? Because if they would have explicitly have said that on the 13th of Adar, the Amalekim will kill the Jews, then we would have got wind of Haman's plan. 
And we would have gone to the governors and the mayors, and we would have bribed them, and we would have gotten out of it. So Haman didn't want us to know what was going to happen on the 13th of Adar. So he sent word to the governors what would happen, but he didn't publicize exactly what would happen. All he publicized was, beware of the 13th of Adar. Because he figured if he lets, if he, if he lets us know what's going to happen, we'll figure out a way out. And look what happened to him. So Esther, when she reveals that she's a Jew, she says, Ish, Sarvoeg, this evil man, he wants to eradicate my people. What did Achishverosh say to her? Say, honey, that's very nice, he wants to eradicate your people. But what do you want me to do about it? Ki kasav, asher nichtav, hamelech. Once I signed and sealed the document, I can't retract. So I'm sorry. I love you, but the decree is the decree. Anytime the king seals a decree, it's a foregone conclusion. So Esther says, let's check out what the decree says. And he shows that verse. You know what it says? Beware of the 13th of Adar. So he says, why don't we just reinterpret it? Then instead of the Jews getting killed, we kill the enemy. That's what said, what a brilliant idea. So Haman's whole plan of not to write in the document of what would happen on that day caused the annihilation of his people in the times of Torah. Now we're getting up to my second favorite example of what I call Al Ha'etz Asher Heichen Loi, Loi Heichen. I call it right back at you. Okay, you ready for this? This is out of this world. So, Achishur sends word to Vashti, Vashti, Vashtala, Vashti dear, come, come to the party, display yourself. Vashti said, you, you stupid fool, I'm not coming out. That's a nice way of saying what she said. The Gemara, if you want to know what she said, look in the Gemara. She said, you're a stable boy who can't even hold your alcohol, and, and that's a nice way of saying what the Gemara says she said. So he doesn't know what to do with her. So the Gemara, so the Pasuk says, Vayoymer ha-melech lachachomim yoideyoyitim Achashverosh has to ask his advisors. Well, I don't understand. Wait, this is America in 2023? That the king, that the president has to ask the Congress and the Senate and the House of Representatives? We're talking Persia 2,000 years ago. If you're a king, then you have a different wife every Monday and Thursday. Your wife doesn't listen to you, so you hang her. So since when does Achashverosh have to ask the advice of his councilmen? Why is he asking advice? Do whatever you want. You're the king of the world. You think Stalin asked anybody's advice before he killed 20 million people? You think any dictator asked anybody's advice? Why would Achashverosh ask anyone's advice? The answer the Megillah says... That was the law in Persia. The law in Persia was, the king calls all the shots. Unless it's noigea to him, unless it's relevant to him, if he is noigea bedover, you know what it means, noigea bedover? If it's relevant to him, then he's biased. He cannot make a unilateral decision. He has to ask the advice of the assembly. Does that have a question? Ready for a bamba kasha? In Yeshiva we say a bomb question. So then why at the end of the story, 
When Achzirish comes in and he sees Haman took a misstep with Esther, the Haman noifel al hamita asher Esther alel. So what does Charvoyna say? Vayoymer Charvoyna echon and asori sim ufnei amelech gam hinei ha'it tlu alav. Hang him. So you know what Achzirish should have to do? He should have to ask the advice of his assembly. Does Achzirish ask anyone's advice? Doesn't ask anybody's advice. He just hangs Haman. What happened to the law in Persia that if it's Noigea the king, you gotta ask the advice of the assembly? Ready for this? There was a legislation made in Persia. Who's Memuchan? Haman. Lefnei Hamelech Vahasarim. Loyala Melech Levadai. And what does Memuchan tell the king? Remember this pasuk? You fool. You're going to allow there to be a law in Persia that you don't call all the shots. From now on, we're going to change the law. Yetzay Dvar Malchus Milafanov. From now on, you call all the shots. Don't ask anyone else their opinion. Now, why did Haman make that law? Because he wanted a knockoff Vashti, because he had a daughter who he wanted Achsirs to marry. And by the way, the Targum says Achsirs tried to marry her, and Hashem made her have a Reach Ra. And he dismissed her. So Haman passed the law that Achzirish calls all the shots. Thank you, Haman. So now when Achzirish gets angry at you, instead of asking the advice of the assembly, and now they would acquit you, you dug your own grave. You thought you were advancing your cause. You were the cause of your own demise. That's the entire theme of Megillah Esther. This is called Al Ha'itz Asher Heichen Loi Tana Loi Heichen. Every plan, scheme, imagination of Haman, God was not only Hefarta, He was Kilkalta. He manipulated it against Haman. Now, how come Hashem works that way? Why can't Hashem just have lightning come down and strike Haman dead? Why does Hashem have to keep Haman in power? and hijack his plans against him. This is very important. The Talmud of Reb Chaim Velazhner, Reb David Tevel, writes in the Sefer Base David, that in the Golos, there are no open miracles. So it's very hard to see Hashem openly in a revealed manner. So sometimes a person could say, well, the Purim story, what exactly is the miracle? That Hashem got angry at Vashti, kings always got angry at their wives. That he killed Vashti, it happened every day. Uh, kings would do that. That Mordechai overheard the plot to kill the king? Okay, maybe it's a coincidence. The only clear and open demonstration of Hashem in the Golos is this method of Hashkacha, where Hashem takes the Russia, He takes the Russia's plot, and He co-ops, He hijacks it, and He uses it against the Russia. God says, you give me the wicked, the most wicked leader possible, I will use His plan against him, that's the clearest demonstration of Hashem's hand in history. And now we come to the grand finale. So Haman is hanged. 
now, even though for many, many years, Ahasuerus would tell Esther, Esther, whatever you want, except for the Beis HaMikdash, now all of a sudden, the Jews are returning back to Eretz Yisrael to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. And if you ever took a look in Sefer Ezra, we'll read over there, that when the Jews came back to, the, to build the second Beis HaMikdash, they couldn't pay for it. They didn't have funding. And there's a man by the name of Darius, Daryavesh. Who's Darius? The son of Esther. Who's his father? Ahasuerus. And they go to Darius and say, Darius, thank you for letting us rebuild the temple, but who's going to pay for it? So he said, why don't you make a charity campaign? They didn't invent that yet. So he said, Darius, can you help us out? So the Psukim and Ezra said, Darius opened up his storehouses and he gave the Jewish people all of the tax money to rebuild the second base Hamikdash. And I ask you, where did Darius get all that tax money from? And the answer is, Vayasem HaMelech HaChashverosh Ma'as Al HaOretz V'yehayam The end of the story, HaChashverosh taxes the people. He puts it in the treasury. He drops dead. His kid inherits all the money. He takes the money and he builds a second day Samikdash. Look how the Purim story has come full circle. The beginning of the story, Ahasuerus is celebrating that the Novi Yirmiya said that if the temple is not rebuilt in 70 years, it will never be rebuilt. And by the end of the story, Ahasuerus has become the chief fundraiser to build the second Beis HaMikdash. But watch this. In the beginning of the story, Ahasuerus is celebrating that the temple will never be rebuilt. And the Yibam is laughing at him. You think this party is celebrating the eternal destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? This party will rebuild the second Beis HaMikdash because you're going to get angry at Vashti and Esther's going to become the queen and you're going to have a kid from her named Daryavesh and he's going to inherit all your money. So you think you're celebrating Chorben? This party is building the second Beis HaMikdash. That's why the Megillah ends that Ahasuerus taxes the people. And if you think that this type of hashkacha is limited to Megillah's Esther, I want to share with you just two examples. Raise your hand if you heard of Lakewood Yeshiva. All right, that was a trick question. Anybody know who built Lakewood Yeshiva? Byron Cutler. That's what you thought until tonight. I'm going to tell you who really built Lakewood Yeshiva. There was a king and a queen many years ago. They had a mission that's called Reconquesta. They were going to conquer the Iberian Peninsula from all the Muslim infidels and remove it of any Jewish influence. So in 1492, they expelled 300,000 Jews from Spain on August 2nd, 1492, Tishabab. They said the Jewish people will never have a homeland. They will never have a haven. They will never build yeshivas. They will never be able to have families. Judaism will be dead. And they get a knock on the door. Okay, we know you're interested in the Inquisition, but now don't you want to expand the Spanish international power? So what do you suggest, Christopher? Christopher says, why don't you fund our mission to discover America? No problem. Ferdinand and Isabella finance 
the expedition of Christopher Columbus. So, on August 3rd, Friday, the day after Tishabab, Christopher Columbus set sail to discover America, paid for by Ferdinand and Isabella, who said the Jewish people will never have a homeland, they'll never have a haven, they'll never build yeshivas. Really? You're going to pay for it. We have a record of a cabin boy who was being expelled on Thursday, August 2nd, 1492, leaving his homeland, Spain. And he writes that as his boat pulled out of the dock, he waved to Christopher Columbus's three ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, parked in the harbor, ready to set sail the very next day. Ferdinand, Isabella, you think the Jewish people will never have a homeland? Just the opposite. Spain isn't big enough. You're going to pay to find a bigger homeland for the Jewish people. Does anybody know, in the last 200 years, which country has been the greatest enemy of the Jewish people? Most people would have said Germany. They killed six million. Very possibly, Russia has been much worse. Hitler killed six million Jews. Stalin killed 20 million of his own people. In the 19th century, the Russian government had a plan to destroy millions and millions of Jews who lived in Russia, exterminate one-third, convert one-third to Russian Orthodox Christianity, and the remaining third, they would leave the country. That's why millions of Jews left the country between 1880 and 1920. The year is 1948. Jewish people are fighting for a homeland in Palestine. It's the War of Independence. It doesn't look like we could win the war. The madman, the butcher, Stalin, got in his crazy mind that the state the Jewish people were fighting for would be socialist, which it was. And if it would be socialist, it would probably be Marxist and communist. And a preferable a Jewish communist state than a British democracy. So Stalin says, let's get those Brits out of the Middle East. Stalin funded the War of Independence. Stalin sent his best troops to fight the War of Independence. I was in Philadelphia yesterday. Ukrainian Jews said Stalin sent soldiers to fight to beat the Arabs. Even though most Arab aggression starting in the 1960s was funded by the Soviet Union. But Stalin had in his mind that better a Jewish communist state than a British democracy. So Stalin funded and fought the War of Independence. And when it came time whether the world community would recognize Israel, Stalin voted to recognize the state of Israel. God says, I don't need good people to help us out. You give me the Russia. You give me his bad ideas and his plans and his schemes. I will use the Russia to bring about everything I want. But let me just conclude. That when Stalin recognized that Ben-Gurion was starting to curry favor with America, he flipped on us. And he became as anti-Semitic as ever. 
1953, Stalin conceived of a plan to destroy Soviet Jewry. This is a fact. He built concentration camps in Siberia, in the north of Russia, where he would ship all the Jews, between 2 and 4 million Jews, this is in the aftermath of the Holocaust, into Siberia. In Siberia, it's between negative 75 and negative 95 degrees, but that's cold, okay? If people get cold, it's, it's 39 degrees, so we have to blast the heat like an oven in here, right? Negative 75, the, all millions of Jews would have died within days and Stalin built railroads to take the Jews there, and concentration camps. And the plan was set to go into motion, I believe, March 6th, 1953. He accused six doctors of poisoning Russians in the hospital. They were uh, charged and trumped up charges, and the Jewish people were going to be decimated in Russia. People think that the Germans invented the idea of systematic uh, execution. The Russians invented it. It's just the Russians weren't that good at it. They do things a little bit slower. You know, you know the joke goes in, in Russia, if you want to buy a car, so you put down $30,000, and they say, okay, thank you. Come back in 32 years. On March 17th, we'll give you the car. So you say, really? Should I come in the morning or the afternoon? So we the morning after? It's 32 years from now. No, no. In the morning, the plumber's coming. That's how they work in Russia. March 6th, 1953, was the plan of the final solution of Stalin in Russia. That year, Erev Purim fell out on Shabbos. Purim was going to be Matzai Shabbos. Rabbi Yitzchak Zilber was reading the Megillah in one of the camps. And after reading the Megillah, he told his assembly, he said, listen to the story we, there was a Stalin back 2,000 years ago who wanted to annihilate us, who wanted to kill us, and the tables turned. It could happen to Stalin. And there was a man over there that said, Rabbi Yitzhak, you're out of your mind. What are you telling me? Bubba Mises of, of 2,000 years ago. Stalin is strong like an ox. What he plans, he executes. Whatever he conceives, he accomplishes. And at 7.50 p.m., Purim night, Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber said, Stalin is just a buster for dumb. Nobody knows what could be in 30 minutes. And at 8.23 p.m., 33 minutes later, Purim night, exactly 70 years ago, Stalin stroked out the night of Purim. And thousands and thousands of Jewish prisoners just walked the streets. And Stalin needed a doctor. But they were all indicted because of Stalin, so there was nobody to cure him. And Rabbi Yitzchak Zilber said that if I know Tehillim, it's because I decided I'm going to daven that Stalin should drop dead. And I said Tehillim, 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 until March 5th, a day before the plan was going to go into fruition, Stalin died. That was the Purim miracle of 70 years ago. And at this Levaya, a very great Russia attended the Levaya. The name of this Russia 
was Clement Gortwald. And in Czechoslovakia, shortly before Stalin died, 100,000 Jews from Czechoslovakia were allowed to go to Israel. And Stalin was so upset that, that Czechoslovakia allowed this to happen that he told Gottwald to take revenge against his party. And Gottwald shot down all of the governors in Czechoslovakia. He was uh, a Russia like you can't imagine. He came to pay final respects to Stalin March 5th. And at the Levaya, Gottwald stroked out and he died. So he and Stalin, these two Rosham, they both were knocked off. We killed two birds with one stone. Purim, 1953, 70 years ago. The lesson is that how often in life we get so caught up, oh, we need to have this person in the in office. This person has to be the president. This person has to be the prime minister. This person has to be in office. We can only be successful with this individual. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, give me more credit than needing your man in office for me to bring salvation to the Jewish people. I like to bring salvation through Haman, through Stalin, through Ferdinand. Because by the Rebbe Hashem doing it that way, he shows us incontrovertible evidence that it's the Yad Hashem. There's nothing that's coincidental. The Rebbe Hashem could pull the string of any enemy to bring about any Yeshua for Klal Yisrael. So we hope, Be'ezus Hashem, to see Yeshua Yisrael in our own time. We see we're living in a time where there's so many Hamans and so many leaders who are rising up against us. And sometimes we feel, okay, but we'll be safe if only he's the president or he's the prime minister and give HaKadosh Baruch more credit than needing anybody. Aim lanu, melech, goyel, umayshia, ela'ata. All we need is HaKadosh Baruch Hu as melech. And with that, aim lanu, lehishain, Ella alavinu shabbat shemayim. So I wish you all freilachin chaydash adar habalim alatoiva, and we shall be zoicha to Yeshua Svenachamois for Klal Yisrael and for all of us individually for Simcha Senachas. Have a wonderful evening. Bracha Thank you very much.